So last Sunday, we heard a message from Luke. We were encouraged by his communion message. He spoke about Jesus being the light of the life of man and uh, that we are his children. He also talked about two groups who were expecting the arrival of Jesus and the Messiah. He spoke about the wise men who visited him and brought gifts he also spoke about Simeon and Anna, uh, and they're expecting his coming and, and surviving to an old age where they were able to see him. One aspect that stood out about what he um, spoke about was the association of the gifts from the wise men and um, the idea of Jesus being our king and our, um, our priest and also our sacrifice. So I just wanted to pick up on these aspects and think about that a little bit in our relationship um, to Christ. Let's consider first uh, Jesus as our king. Jesus is the head of the church, his spiritual kingdom. Um, as Christians, we're his followers. We're subjects in that kingdom uh, and under his protection. I appreciate the song that was just sung, we bow down, we worship the king. Um, it's incredible to think that the creator of the universe is who we serve. We're loyal to Christ. It's, it's not any king of any kingdom on earth, um, but we serve Christ. The same is true of, of our presidents and our government officials. We, we don't have loyalty to them. We have loyalty to Christ. Consider, though, we, we read about a number of kings throughout the Bible, right? Kings of Israel, kings of Judah. Um, and, and many loved God. They, they did what was right. Um, but, but they weren't perfect, right? They were men. They were fallible. And, and many even did evil um, in the sight of the Lord. Also, their kingship was temporary, right? Um, they, they reigned for a certain period of time, and then their reign came to an end. Um, our king is, serve, is our king eternal. Um, I, I, I wanted to look at uh, the, the last king of Judah, um, Zedekiah, for instance. Um, the end of his reign was a brutal end. In Jeremiah 52, verse 9 through 11, we read that... Um, it says that Jeremiah 52, verse 9, Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah in the land of Hamath, and he passed sentence on him. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and also slaughtered all the officials of Judah at Riblah. He put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains, and the king of Babylon took him to Babylon and put him in prison till the day of his death. So like every other earthly king, there was a time for his kingship to end. Uh, in this instance, it's because he was captured by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, at that point, he was no longer the king. And there was no future restoration of the kings of, of Judah or Israel. Uh, we can think of the kings throughout history um, as well 
um, and kings of today. They, they've all suffered defeat, either in battle, they were overthrown, um, some abdicated, they just stepped down and said, I don't want to be king, um, or they died, right? And they weren't all bad, um, but they were men, none were perfect, and their kingships came to an end. Some, of course, were more despotic than others. Um, and most have served, though, not to serve their people, but to be served by their people. I, I think today I read that there are 43, 43 countries that are under a monarchy. Um, the King of England is the head of 15 of those countries, um, but he has no authority outside of the um, the British Commonwealth. His reign is also temporary. Someday he will die, like his mother, and he will pass on that kingship to another. Christ's reign is infinitely superior. Our king sits enthroned at the right hand of God, uh, and his kingdom is eternal. This was prophesied in Daniel chapter 2. I'll read uh, verse 44. It says, In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms, the preceding empires before the establishment of Christ's kingdom, and all these kingdoms, and bring them to an end, and Christ's kingdom shall stand forever. Uh, if you want to turn, I'll now read through uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20, where it speaks about authority of Christ. It's Matthew 28, verse 16. It reads that now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we see that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Um, that authority has been given to our king. He also taught us to observe all that he commanded, um, indicating he has the authority to give commands. And we also know that he's with us always to the end of the age. His kingdom is of an eternal nature. Now consider Jesus um, is our priest. He's the mediator of a new covenant. Um, it also is of a different nature and far superior than the um, priests of the old covenant. Um, even though the Levitical priesthood was established by God, it, it was not intended to be a, a permanent um, solution. It, it was imperfect and it was temporary, as were the priests who served under the Levitical priesthood. In Hebrews 7, 
I'll read um, starting in verse 11. That's Hebrews 7, starting in verse 11 through 28. It says, Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there be for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the, likeliness, in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Verse 23, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Christ, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Verse 28, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So verse 11, we read that um, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, we take from that to mean that the Levitical priesthood was not perfect um, under the old covenant. Verse 17 cites Psalm 110 verse 4 where the Hebrew writer declares that of Christ that he's a priest forever his priesthood is eternal um, and, and as we know as we just read previously there were many priests they were of the tribe of Levi and they served for a period of time at the end of that time at the end of their life or when they stepped down uh, they were no longer priests um, 
Christ's priesthood is, is permanent because he continues. He lives. Um, though he died, he was raised from the dead to life. Um, it also reads that as our priest, he's able to save to the uttermost. Um, I like that concept, that idea um, that he can save completely or at all times. Um, and, and last, I want to think about Christ as our sacrifice. Um, we read earlier in verse 27 of Hebrews 7 that the priests offered daily sacrifices. It's um, First, it was for their own sins because they were imperfect, right? Then it was for the sins of the people. But Christ offered himself as a sacrifice once for all. It wasn't necessary for Christ to be offered on a daily basis. Um, and, and I'm sure there are a lot of um, differences between the sacrifice of Christ and that of the sacrifices under the old law. But, but regarding the sacrifices, I, I want to think and do a comparison to um, a different type of sacrifice that we read about in the Old Testament. Um, and that's to look at the similarities between um, Christ and the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. Um, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but in Exodus 12, we read that every home needed um, to have a, sac um, a Passover lamb. It needed to be male. Um, it needed to be unblemished. Uh, Exodus 12, verse 5. Um, then the people were to kill the sacrifice the Passover lamb and apply the blood to the uh, doorposts and the lentils of their houses. Um, the blood of the Passover lamb was also the difference between life and death. Um, and it was a sacrifice that was to be commemorated continually, which is why they had an annual Passover feast to remember that. Uh, and last, it, it sacrificed drew reverence and worship <laughs> from the obedient. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 that Christ is our Passover lamb um, and ha has been sacrificed. Um, Jesus was, was Jewish. He had observed the Passover you know, throughout his life, throughout his ministry. Um, but he knew in Matthew chapter 26 that that Passover would be different. Uh, he told his disciples there in verse 2 of Matthew 26, he says, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. On that Passover, he would be sacrificed for us. Jesus of Nazareth was unblemished we read in first peter uh, chapter one that um, we were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as gold or silver but with the precious blood of christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot jesus was male uh, he was killed Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Um, 
and was killed by the hands of lawless men. Jesus' blood is also applied uh, to cleanse us of our sins. Uh, I'd like to read Romans 3, verse 23 through 25, where it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. The blood of Christ is applied to the blood or applied to the obedient. His blood removes the sins of those who obey. Um, his blood for us as well is the difference between life and death. In John 6, verse 53 and 54, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So as we do every Sunday, uh, we will now commemorate the sacrifice of Jesus with our weekly worship and remembrance of his sacrifice. Um, Jesus was arrested on a Thursday, crucified on Friday. He laid buried all day on Saturday and rose on Sunday. Just as the New Testament Christians commemorated um, that sacrifice, we do that as well. The unleavened bread representing his body that was broken and the fruit of the vine representing his blood. God in his wisdom, he made these emblems as part of the Passover feast, which Israel celebrated the night they left Egypt. And that predated the first covenant. Uh, the physical Passover lamb sacrificed by Israel had significance to those in their generation, and it was handed down to their descendants. But God was drawing a picture that night that he knew would not be completed until Jesus uttered the words, it is finished, and he bowed his head and died. We celebrate because he died. He was buried and rose again. So let's not um, ever take for granted or lose the significance of this um, of this sacrifice. Our eternal king who serves us as priest and makes intercession for us uh, sacrificed himself for us. So let's um, observe now and David will lead us in um, a prayer.